Hello and welcome to the Buena Vista Film Club podcast. Uh, we have myself, James and Rishi in the room ready to talk movies. Uh, James, why don't you start us off? So of course the big release this month is Batman vs Superman. Rishi and I caught it at um, 11.30 on the first day it came out, like a bunch of kilos. And uh, we both went in there expecting to hate it. And we were a little bit pleasantly surprised. It's divided everyone. Um, a lot of people don't see why it's got the hate it has, but a lot of people out there cannot stand this film. It's yeah, it's, it's quite shocking, really. Like I think right <clears> from the from the beginning when the film was announced and what they were planning to do, people kind of felt it was going to be that they're kind of on the on the coattails of what Marvel are trying to do, and they're trying to like jumpstart it. Um, and do it not the way Marvel have done it and just want to cram in as many characters as possible. Um, <coughs> when we watched the film, like me and James, when we first when we first heard about it and we saw the trailers, we were like, this film just isn't going to be good. It's going to be awful. And no, it ended up being really good. Like Ben Affleck's amazing as Batman. There's a fight scene, which is one of the best Batman fight scenes that I've seen. And um, Wonder Woman's great in it as well. Yeah, and so this got us thinking basically about films that were maybe destined to flop uh, and in the end uh, did quite well and surprised us all. So we've had a think and come up with a few. A film that was predicted to be a flop and people were going to already hating it before it even came into cinemas was a film called World War Z with uh, Brad Pitt. I hate that film. You hate it? It's rubbish. It's, I think it's a really good film and Rotten Tomatoes will uh, agree with me. But um, but yeah no as in what what it was was that the um, the original source comic was written by Max Brooks and people that had read that like absolutely loved it because it was one of those kind of zombie bible type comic books that redefined the whole zombie genre um, and when they found out they were changing the source material and Brad Pitt was the producer as well and they were like just messing around with the whole content of it it already kind of riled people up. And um, while they were filming it, the film had a budget of 125 million. But then they ended up realizing that the end wasn't working. So they reshot the entire final third of the film for an extra 40 to 50 million dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, so the budget rose to 190 million for a zombie film, and it was PG 13, which already people were like, you can't have a zombie film that's PG 13. So it was already getting a lot of hate. But uh, when the film came out, it ended up grossing 550 million worldwide and it's got a 67% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. It's no 28 days later though. It is. Wages probably got a higher Rotten Tomatoes score? It probably has got a higher one, but in terms of. I'm going to look. Yeah, but in terms of what people already going into the cinema thinking this film's going to be really bad, it's a PG 13 zombie film, it's going to be awful. But it ended up being a really good film and to Brad Pitt's credit, when he realised that the final third wasn't working, he got a scriptwriter called Drew Goddard who wrote The Martian and Lost. And he said that, let's make this film the best version of the film that we can and take our time over it and not rush it. And they ended up making a final third of the film, which works really well because the film starts off really big with huge like zombie attacks and it ends up being a really small personal film towards the end. Perfect. Yeah. 28 Days Later, 87. Well, there you cents. go. I mean, that's a great zombie film as well, but this was one of those ones, like, it was a high-profile zombie movie and um, 190 million is uh, pretty much a lot of money to spend. It's a bit mean to compare them as well, because 28 Days Later, that is one of the great 
zombie films ever, isn't it? I think it's yeah. the best. Because some people yeah. think Shaun of the Dead. I think Shaun of the Dead is. But that's more of a comedy which has zombies in it mm. rather than being a zombie film. Yep. And I know a lot of people would argue with things like The Evil Dead and that kind of stuff. But That's true. There you go. Steph. Um, yeah, so first of all, I want it to be known that I'm not going to talk about Titanic for this, where I so easily could. So it's been a recent trend in these podcasts. I keep talking about Titanic. I'm not going to do it. I'm not even going to talk about Star Wars. Um, I've gone for a bit of a left field choice, going back to sort of one of the very first instances, in a sense, where people were fully expecting what turned out to be one of the most important films in Hollywood history to be a massive flop. Okay. Um, so I'm talking about what was known as Disney's Folly at the time. The, the very first feature-length animated film ever, of course, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Um, and that was the main problem, really, that no one thought animated films would work in the feature-length format, uh, partly because people still thought they were simply aimed at, at kids, you know, whose attention spans were just too short to handle anything that long, and partly because it simply had never been done before, so no one really saw the appeal. And that's kind of weird thinking that now, you know, in the age of Pixar, and where literally everyone has at least one Disney film in their sort of favourite films of all time. It's mm. kind of hard to imagine that people wouldn't think that a full feature-length animated film would work, but of course it did, uh, and it set up the Disney studio to be the massive, you know, the massive media. It's quite a great legacy to have there. Absolutely, yeah. that, that completely kick-started the whole, you know, what Disney to to have the company that it is today. Um, so yeah, so this little film that everyone expected to be a flop ended up literally being selected for the preservation in the National Film Registry. Uh, it's featured in the list of the 100 greatest American films ever. Um, and adjusted for inflation, Snow White is currently technically uh, the 10th highest grossing film ever, just in front of Star Wars The Force Awakens. Wow. So possibly this is the ultimate film that was, that was expected to be a flop and was most definitely not. At the Oscars that year, Walt Disney was presented with seven little Oscars. Which is so cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's such a good idea. That was in, what, what year was that again? 37, 1937. I mean, just imagine if that had actually flopped, like what would have that done to Walt Disney and Di Disney and the actual animation. And everyone's imaginations. Exactly. For decades to come. Disneyland, no more. You say that, but Listen, I'm not, I mean, I can't remember any of Snow White bar the hi-ho, hi-ho. I know the film's got to be at least way over an hour, but I can't remember what happens apart from an apple, she falls asleep, a prince, the dwarfs walking around a bit. You've kind of well, mentioned mean, most of the film, man. Yeah. yeah, but I can't remember what happens, really. <laughs> Don't you have, like, Prince Charming kissing Snow White? At the end, yeah. Yeah, to wake her up. Her, I mean, that's an iconic... Huh? Her prince comes. That's right. Happily ever after. Yeah. It's amazing how much, how many Disney cartoons, old ones, aren't very PC today. <laughs> yeah. So there's some like really classic accidental Disney racism. Oh yeah. I'm just going through the IMDb page. I've not seen this one, but I bet Mickey Mouse and the Hot Chocolate Soldiers <laughs> yeah. might be um, a little yeah. on the edge. Well, wasn't there one with like with where all they were all dressed up as Nazis or something? Maybe. <laughs> Don't know. I'm not going to type that into my search engine. Anyway, my choice was a slightly more recent film, um, Guardians of the Galaxy. So, while Marvel Studios is back in, what, was it 2014? So it's pretty recent, wasn't it? Yeah. And 
still to this day, arguably the most surprised I've ever been in the cinema. I expected something to be pretty average and it blew me away. But at the time, Marvel Studios obviously responsible for some of the biggest superhero properties out there. But when the, I don't know if you remember this, but when they first announced Guardians of the Galaxy, everyone went, mm, you've been a bit too cocky, you've gone a bit too far. Because essentially, it's a movie about an unknown group of superheroes. No one's really read the comic. That includes a talking raccoon and a tree that's sort of a person and some human actors that aren't really stars, including one of the guys that used to be in the American office. No, and Parks, um, and Re- Parks and Recreation. <clears throat> And Parks and Recreation. Yeah. Sorry, absolutely right. Chris Pratt, yeah. <laughs> yep. Before he was an A-lister. As he was <laughs> yeah. But um, at the time they thought they'd been a bit too cocky. This will flop. And it ended up being, arguably, not only in terms of quality, the best Marvel movie, but in terms of budget and total revenue, it ended up grossing close to a billion dollars, cost nowhere near the amount of Iron Man and you know, a lot of the other Marvel superhero films. And for me, was a real big surprise. You're you're making that screwed up face because you're thinking it didn't gross a billion dollars. It, it, gro- it grossed seven hundred seventy-five million dollars. Both yeah. of us are equally geeky on that sort of <laughs> yeah. stuff. But you know, I remember watching that with you, and I think about halfway through, like I turned to you and said, "That like, this is amazing." Like the soundtrack, the comedy, the action—it just worked so well. And you kind of had a glimpse of that in the trailers, but sometimes you don't know how good a trailer can sell a movie. And when we watched Guardians of the Galaxy, we were just like, this is absolutely amazing. And we were really shocked about it, but it was a great Marvel film. I think in the in the age of, you know, assumptions over guaranteed bankable hits, big characters like the Green Lantern, oh, there's, there's millions of fans guaranteed to be huge. Yeah. Uh, the success of Guardians of the Galaxy, for me, the reason I particularly like it is it shows that a good story and, good, and the well-written characters, regardless mm. of original popularity... Um, can still result in a successful film. And I also avoided Titanic as well. <laughs> and, uh, Best film ever! <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> so we're going to the cinema this month. Uh, what are we going to see? Um, I went to watch Zootropolis yesterday with my niece and nephew. Oh, lovely. And um, I didn't know anything about this film. It came out in America a couple of weeks ago and... I was in India at the time, so I didn't really read up about it or I didn't even watch any trailers. And so I didn't know anything about the film or apart from it's about animals living in a city. Um, Spoilers. Spoiler alert. It's actually a, um, a mismatched buddy cop movie about animals going wild. And it's a mystery. And it's really funny. Like... The kids in the in the screening, like when we were there, like everyone was like laughing, and there's actually a Breaking Bad reference, which I laughed at, and no one else did. But I was like, oh my god, I can't believe that there's a Breaking Bad reference. Maybe the kids hadn't seen Breaking Bad yet. There you go. But as in a Breaking Bad reference in a Disney movie, I was like, that is that is incredible. So um, I really isn't liked that it. called something else in America? It's called Zoo- Zootropolis. Zootopolis. It's called Zootropolis over here, and in America, I think it's called Zootopia. Or the other way around, I don't know. Well, my pick is Midnight Special, which is the latest film by Jeff Nichols, who's done Take Shelter and Mud. Um, he's done some great films, basically. This one, it's a, a science fiction film done his way, so quite muted in style, um, quite a slow burn, uh, but always, you know, it's intriguing the whole way through. 
and basically plays like an old Spielberg sci-fi, um, which is completely intentional. Um, you know, he himself admitted that he wanted to make a film kind of like with that kind of vintage 80s E.T. feel to it, and he's definitely succeeded in doing that. So that is my pick for this month. Really that good. Sounds amazing, actually. I think I might check it out now. Definitely. But after my selection this month, um, which has to be The Jungle Book. Uh, John Favreau's taken the reins on this one, and I thought it was going to be terrible from the moment I heard about it, but then I saw the trailer, and it just brought back everything I loved about the Disney original. They've even thrown in a few references to the classic songs themselves. Incredible cast. Ben Kingsley for the, the serious acting, but it's got Bill Murray as Baloo, which will be fantastic. And uh, apparently it's been tested across quite a wide demographic, and... The reviews are huge. Um, it's my prediction for one of the uh, unexpected mega hits of the year. I've just got a feeling it's going to be what's the same sort of surprise as Pirates of the Caribbean was when um, that came out back in 2008. Rishi, you can probably tell me this. It was a bit earlier than that. I think it was 2007, maybe. Seven. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for me, um, yeah, it's got to be The Jungle Book. Yeah. I mean, Christopher Walken's also in that as King Louis. And oh, that, yes. That is just, that sold me completely. Like, the trailer, when he's like, he, he's sort of like, kid, my ears have got ears. I just love that. <laughs> so, yeah. Amazing. Okay, another month, another set of new releases in the Eternal Dogfight that is Amazon versus Netflix. Both of them are stepping up their release list in the ongoing fight to uh, get as many eyeballs on them as possible. That's right. And what we thought we'd do, we'd save a lot of people a lot of time, and we've painstakingly gone through the list, given a few a try, and we've got a few selections for when you come home, you're knackered, what to put on, and what definitely not. So I know you've been looking at Netflix this month, and... Uh, Mine's maybe a combination of both, what to put on and what definitely not, depending on your mood, because the one that I've gone for has actually made me so angry that maybe you shouldn't watch it if you've just had a very long, hard day at work. Wow. <laughs> Who could that be? So this is a documentary um, called The Hunting Ground, which was on Netflix um, this month. Uh, it's a documentary by Kirby Dick, whose last film, The Invisible War, tackled the subject of sexual assault in the US military and the sort of subsequent cover-up by the higher-ups. Um, sounds like a nice Monday night film. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. Well, it gets worse. So for The Hunting Ground, the main focus remains sexual assault, but this time looks at rape on college campuses and the horrendous uphill battle for justice victims face when college and sometimes student reputations are at stake and when silencing victims is easier than prosecuting the offenders. Is so this... that's the worst Netflix and chill video <laughs> ever. Well, yeah. ever, ever. Is this the one with Lady Gaga? Yes. Sound yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. So yep. yeah, you might know about this film because yep. it was the the song um, when it happens to you. That's was, right. Was performed at the Oscars with uh, you know a load of survivors who actually appear in the film. Well, I've chosen Frozen, so um, <laughs> that's gonna be. Interesting. Um, also released this month alongside Frozen is Trail of the Panda, also known as Touch of the Panda, which if it's anything like the the Bear and the Revenant, is probably quite similar to your um, <laughs> your film in the first place. But sorry, you might want to do the rest of your Netflix choices. Well, the other one I had is much more fun. It's it's just How to Train Your Dragon. Oh, <laughs> you can watch that film. afterwards. I feel like it's really underrated animated. Film, you know, when it came right. out, I'm I barely... cast as well. Yeah, it's 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 just such a lovely. It's got this character, toothless. He's one of the cutest, you know. Dragons, dragons. around. <laughs> dragons yeah. around. He's basically a little black cat, 
Um, and yeah, I just feel like it, it went really, it flew literally under the radar when it came out. And I, I eventually watched it when it came out on DVD and I thought, how the hell did I not see this before? So that'd be, you know, once you've watched The Hunting Ground and you're ready to punch the screen, watch yeah. How to Train Your Dragon and you'll feel light and fluffy again. Sorry, just come back to The Hunting Ground. Is it, like, I know it's a very heavy subject matter, but is it a well-made documentary? Like, is it, as in terms of it's, it's well-made, right? It's well-made, but it, it, it's, it's kind of biased in the sense that it wants you to be angry. It wants, oh, you, okay. it wants you to kind of, you know, to force a change. I mean, it's really, it kind of doesn't take the innocent until proven guilty thing it kind uh, okay. of is, it's very out there and you know trying to place point the finger place blame force change okay while amazon this month has very much targeted the families and i mentioned frozen which is probably the best kids film well as far as kids are concerned it's the greatest film of all time and perfect for when you're trying to keep them quiet <laughs> yeah. um but i've just selected some other releases this month that I definitely think are worth people's attention. Uh, first up, obviously, probably the best one on the list is The Dark Knight. I don't need to say anything about that. <laughs> and then one of my all-time favourite films, and a film that I don't think enough people have seen, which is Pleasantville, which is a wonderful kind of... I'd say multi-layered film because on one on one on one level it's it's a lovely kind of romantic slight comedy and another level it's an analogy for racism so everyone starts being black and white and gradually as they change their views and be a bit more kind of liberal in their understanding of the world they gain color and it's it's just it's just a wonderful film the way it's um, presented, it's got incredible. Well, I don't like the guy, Toby Maguire, but he is fantastic in it, and I definitely think it's worth a couple of hours of your time. Is it Kirsten Dunst as well? Kirsten Dunst, yeah, yeah. Gwen Stacy and uh, not Gwen Stacy, uh, Mary Jane Watson. Yeah, I almost, said, I almost said Lois Lane. So that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's not great. <laughs> yeah, and uh, keeping up the family tradition, uh, coming out this April, uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Lord knows why, uh, the Pirate Fairy. I've, I've seen that. It's uh, <laughs> I saw that with my uh, niece. It's um, it's it's a fun way to spend a couple of hours. Is it about a fairy that's a pirate or a pirate that's a fairy? It's about a fairy on a pirate ship. Like Tinkerbell. Yeah, Tinkerbell. She's on a pirate ship. Is it oh, so Tinkerbell? it's about the story of Tinkerbell. Yeah, yeah, yeah Tinkerbell. Oh, yeah, right. she's in it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm with you now. Is yeah. it live action? No, no, no. It's uh, it's it's animated. Animated. Cool. Yep. Great. Great. Um, but arguably my favourite and one I will certainly be watching out on the 8th of April on Amazon Prime, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> I've not seen that film for ages and it got me thinking, where the hell is Rick Moranis? Because he's not dead, is he? He should be in the new blockbuster. Um, you about blockbuster? to say the new Star Wars? Or... No, he should, he should be in the new <laughs> Ghostbusters movie. He should have a cameo in the new Ghostbusters movie. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah. Maybe. Maybe. But a classic film and the special effects probably hold up today. Yep. I mean, look at Ant-Man, and it kind of holds up. Ant-Man is not a patch on that film. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, a little kid in a bowl of Cheerios. That is, uh, that's amazing. It blew my mind. Well, enough about Hollywood then. Um, it's time for Steph to uh, take us on a more intellectual path. It's time for a bit of world cinema. In some ways, yeah. So I've picked out three uh, foreign language films to look out for this month. The first of which is a German sort of drama slash thriller, Victoria, 
which is actually already out um, now. It came out last week. Um, so I'm really looking forward to this one purely because of the incredible technical achievement it boasts. It was shot in a single two and a half hour long take across, wow. yeah, across more than 20 locations in Berlin with a cast that pretty much improvises the entire script. I think they, they kind of started off with a 12 page bare bones type script and the actors basically improvise the whole thing from there. Um, so, you know, it kind of might sound like another gimmicky kind of film that's all style over substance, but judging by reviews, it's a technical decision that has really paid off. And it's worth mentioning that when I say it's shot in a single take, you know, it really is one long continuous take from, I think, half four in the morning till till seven or whatever it was. Um, so, you know, it kind of outdoes films like Birdman where they said it was a single take, but it wasn't really because there's loads of cuts in it. I just found that out, yeah. Yeah, and you can see them if you look out for them. But anyway, and fun fact about this one as well, apparently it was shot, they tried it three times. Uh, they shot it three times and took the third the third take of it. That's pretty good. Uh, which is pretty good, actually, to, you know, literally third time lucky. Um, so just the plot really quickly. Uh, the film starts out in a club where we meet Victoria, um, who eventually then meets a group of boys outside. She agrees to continue the night out and go drinking with them and kind of gets romantically involved with one of the guys. Um, but things then take a turn when the group have to meet with a gangster who they owe money to. Now, she agrees to go with them to the meet, and from that point on, the film basically turns into a bank robbery heist thriller with the lead in way over her head. Ooh. So it sounds pretty awesome. Um, and yeah, as I said, it's out in cinemas now, so that sounds like it's definitely one to catch while you definitely. can. I'm not sure how long that kind of film stays out in the cinema, but anyway, it sounds pretty cool. It'll probably be in selected cinemas for quite a long time. Yeah, oh, well, I hope but so. Not, but not a wide release, I imagine. See, because the thing is that I've seen like short films where they do it all in one take, and it you do end up noticing the gimmick of it, and the story isn't as good because they're trying to like placate the fact that they're doing it all in one shot. But this just sounds. And it's you know it's nearly two and a half hours. That is insane. That is mental. That is insane. I mean, normally you kind of have an in- invisible edit somewhere, or an invisible cut. Well, but... exactly. Apparently, you know. Maybe this needs to be fact-checked, but apparently this is one wow. long, continuous take, which is incredible. Absolutely incredible. James can do that while I talk about Deepan, <laughs> which is the next film. So this was the surprise winner of the uh, the, Palme, the Palme d'Or at the Cannes last year, um, and the latest film from one of my favourite directors, Jacques Audiard, who previously did The Brilliant, A Prophet, and most recently, Rust and Bone. Both great films. Oh. Um, so Deepan focuses on a Tamil freedom fighter who um, he's forced out of Sri Lanka in the midst of a civil war um, and basically partners up with two strangers, so two other refugees, um, to pose as a family. So he's got a wife and a daughter in order to escape the country and try to claim asylum in France. Uh, and when they arrive in France, they stick together and pretend to be this family and kind of go about starting a new life um, together uh, in a poor rundown suburb of Paris which as it turns out you know is not actually much better than the place that they were running away from in the first place so we follow each character as they try to integrate in this strange often violent society um, and see how they try to adapt and you know take control of their situation um, so I saw this one at the London Film Festival last year and really enjoyed it um, it has that kind of affection for its you know, still flawed characters like we've come to expect from Odia's films in the past, um, you know, with kind of a slow paced but really, really engaging plot. Um, and he also manages to bring out more really, you know, incredibly naturalistic performances from these first time actors um, and crafts a story of immigration and culture shock that's, <coughs> that's really timely. Um, and it also has a pretty explosive finale, so it's definitely one to go see. And it's out this Friday, the 8th of April. 
Oh, Sounds cool. good. Just a uh, fact check on Victoria. You are absolutely right. Uh, the movie was filmed on April the 17th, 2014, between the hours of 4.30am and 7am, and it is one long 138-minute take. That is... I think it's all it takes to ruin it is one drunk asshole in the background going, Ooh, Ooh, film me, film me, and that's, that's yeah. it. That's ruined. And Ruin so it's it. just, it's so impressive to think of all the things that could go wrong in two and a half hours that they've got this film. And the fact that you've got the whole crew working behind the camera and you've also got the actors who don't want to like look at the camera and exactly. intentionally like do something. Exactly, it's just, honestly, yeah. it's so hard to just get across how much can go wrong. <laughs> yeah, I know. And in fact, it's only a 12-page script and they've just kind of improvised it as well into a two-hour film, two-and-a-half-hour film. It's incredible, just the, the scope for error is huge. But anyway, let's move on to the last one. So finally, Son of Saul, um, which is a Hungarian production that won the best foreign language film at the Oscars this year um, and the Golden Glo- Globes and a handful of other award ceremonies. Um, so that's probably kind of the biggie uh, of the release, the bigger release this month. Um, this is another bleak one, though, in true European cinema style. Um, it's set in Auschwitz in 1944 and centres around Saul, who's a prisoner uh, in the concentration camp and whose job it is to burn the bodies of fellow inmates. Uh, one day he notices the body of his son in this pile of bodies and kind of takes it upon himself to ensure that he's given a proper Jewish burial. Um, it's kind of, you know, his conscience taking control and making him do the, the right thing despite everything that's going on around him. So it's heavy stuff, but Son of Saul has been receiving a huge amount of praise, um, apparently for all the right reasons. For starters, it was shot on 35mm film, which you know gives it that kind of texture that digital filmmaking just can't, can't recreate, um, and is framed mostly by having the camera fixed on the lead actor's face, um, who's once again a non-professional actor, giving the film a kind of first-person narrative look and again his naturalistic performance is probably part of the reason why people are saying it's such you know it's possibly one of the most realistic portrayals um, of of a concentration camp ever put to film um, so all signs point to this being one of the best releases of the year so I'm really looking forward to it um, and slightly bracing myself for it as well you know it's not like going to be a difficult watch yeah. um, but it's out at the end of this month on the Friday the 29th of April so definitely keep an eye out for that one um, so that's my Kind of quick roundup done. The Buena Vista Club. So thanks to all your support and well wishes so far, we will be taking our little podcast one step further soon and creating a short film festival with our friends at the Picture House later on this year. Uh, one person who knows a thing or two about short films is our resident scriptwriter Rishi Varja, uh, whose film will be magically finding its way into our screening itself. I hope so. Well... You're in charge, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, Eleanor Blind Witch um, has done really well. We've um, shown it at a couple of film festivals around the world, um, such as Cambridge Film Festival, Cork, and one in America, actually, which I don't know the name of. Um, and recently, it was um, shown at a pop-up cinema in a brewery called Wildcard in, um, in Walthamstow. And it was shown before a film called The Falling, uh, which is a film starring Maisie Williams and uh, from Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, right. Arya Stark, um, and the film was really good. Like um, it's a, it's a kind of set in the nineteen sixties about a boarding sc- not a boarding school. It's like a women a girls school, 
and um, you kind of feel it's going to go kind of supernatural and sinister, but it ends up being more psychological. It's like mass hysteria, kind of. Yeah, it's it's about well, um, girls that who have mass fainting episodes. Um, but I mean, it's it's such a great location um, for a pop up screening, you know, beer and films. I mean, what more do you want? <laughs> So um, yeah, it was uh, yeah it was really enjoyable and a, and a great night and um, thanks to everyone that put it on. Great. So we're now at the grand finale, are we? The grand finale, which is the fun bit, really. This the, is fun the fun bit. bit. This is this is what I live for. <laughs> this is the These fun quizzes. bit. These quizzes. It's round two of our quiz, uh, a quiz that you can play along at home if it's the same as last month. It is the same as last month. This is taken from the hashtag uh, explain a film plot badly whether the Twitter sphere came up with terrible ways of, well, doing just that, explaining a film plot badly. So I'm going to, I've got 10 of them here, which I'm going to put to you guys um, as questions. And the first one to give me the film that I'm talking about will get the point. So we need to identify the film from the bad explanation. Exactly. Cool. Sounds good. Um, Did you win last time? I won last time. Narrowly. No, no, I, no, you I, crushed I, me, actually. I, I think I did pretty well. Yeah, I think was... I did pretty well. So this is... Vengeance! <laughs> yeah. So I've got ten questions here. <coughs> so we can go through all ten and basically come out with who's got the highest score at the end. Yep. Right? Yep. Right. First to five first or six. To, first to six, probably, wouldn't it? Yep. First to six. Well, let's jump straight in. Okay. Let's do it. Question number one. Impressionable teenage girl from Kansas tries acid the boss? Can't even get to the end of it. That's a point for James. God, he's he's on it. He's on it today. <laughs> Question number two: Miserable billionaire terrorizes mentally ill man. Batman versus Superman. Was that again? Dark Knight. The Dark Knight. What? <laughs> Miserable yes. billionaire terrorizes mentally ill man is Batman. And oh, Dark okay. Knight. Have you been good. looking at the Twitter? Have you been, been hashtagging? Been no, I'm on it today. <laughs> <laughs> These are actually all James's ones. Are, they, yeah. are the actual answers on the sheet? Yeah. I've not seen the sheet. Oh. I've seen. You've, you saw the sheet. I haven't though. seen the sheet. <laughs> My eyesight isn't that good. Question number three. Yep. Guy wants to bone Siri. Oh, oh her. her. Ooh, I'm going to count that as a draw. Ooh. We, we could do the, the audio replay, but I'm not going to do that. That was a close one. I think maybe James might have got that one. I'm, I'm counting it as a draw. Oh, draw. Yeah, cool. <laughs> That's very nice of you. I, I'm going to say me as well. Right, question number four. A drug-crazed lunatic slowly kills children in front of their parents one by one. What? A drug-crazed lunatic slowly kills children in front of their parents one by one. Chitty chitty bang bang? Nope. I want to say the Babadook, but I often... No, it's not that. Say that when I think of horror films. A, a drug, drug crazed, crazed... Oh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yes, oh! very good. I only got it because of your um, your guess. <laughs> what, Chi Bang Bang? Yeah. Oh. That film's scary. That is scary. Question number five. The Child Catcher, that's it, isn't it? That's him. <laughs> yeah. Deadbeat Dad tries to get his son to take over the family business. That could be like any <laughs> film. <laughs> well, it has to be the film that I've got on the Dead answer big, right here. Uh, big Daddy? No. Deadbeat Dad. Deadbeat Dad tries to get his son to take over the family business. That's the only Adam Sandler film that I can think of. Oh, The Godfather, part two. Part one. It could be, but no. (laughs) (laughs) Deadbeat Dad. No, he's not a Deadbeat Dad. Deadbeat Dad. It's not a film called Deadbeat Dad, is there? 
No. <laughs> Deadbeat. It was that sort of film that Vince Vaughn was that, starring. That tries to take it. What? Say that again. So Deadbeat Dad tries to get his son to take over the family business. You're going to kick yourselves. Hold on, hold on, hold on. It's got to be Mafia or something. Oh, I think it is. Goodfellas? That's no. not even right. Deadbeat, so it's a deadbeat dad. We're going to kick ourselves because it's really obvious. I'm going to have to start doing the counter. Li- Lion King? Sorry. No. No, he's not, he's not a deadbeat dad. Mufasa? He's not a deadbeat. Uh, I'm trying to think of like dads. I'm trying to think of dads that get their sons to like take over the business. Uh, no, I don't know. Star Wars. What? <laughs> I said it's not Star Wars, is it? I didn't hear that. I didn't hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I think you said that in your head. Star Wars. Look, Audio don't blame replay. me. Blame the person who, who did this hashtag. Right, question number six. Um, friend zoned for three decades. Girl finally likes him. She dies. <laughs> Say it again. Friend zoned for three decades. Girl finally likes him. She dies. Oh, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump is correct. Good. What's the score now? We're 4-2. It's heating up. Um, right, question number seven. A love triangle between an 18-year-old girl, a 100-year-old guy, and a dog. Benjamin Button? <laughs> no. Say that again? So a love triangle between an 18-year-old girl, a 100-year-old guy, and a dog. A love triangle? Mm-hmm. 100-year-old guy. 18-year-old girl, 100-year-old guy, and a dog. 100-year-old guy. Normally, I've got Beethoven and Turner and Hooch going around in my head, <laughs> yeah. which is both pointless. Um, oh, 100-year-old guy. Mm-hmm. A dog. <laughs> An 18-year-old girl. <laughs> a love triangle. Um, now, remember, this plot has been explained badly. So take you know this is taking liberties with some of these details. It won't really be a dog. It'll be something that's like a dog. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be. Something. Uh, oh, God, it's Star Wars again, isn't it? Han Solo, Chewie, and Princess Leia. It's not. Uh, who's hundred years old in that? Oh yeah, well, he's how old is he now? <laughs> Seventy something. <Yeah. laughs> Give up? No. Uh, yeah, yeah, fine. Yeah, God. The it's, Revenant. It's Twilight. Oh, I would never have got that. I would never have got that. I mean, let's just move on. <laughs> yeah. Right, question number eight. Uh, immigrant adoptee is repatriated to country of birth, experiences culture shock and prejudice. Coming to America? Nope. The Terminal? N- no. Nope. I was going to say Terminal. American History X? No. Nope. Say again? Immigrant adoptee is repatriated to country of birth, experiences culture shock and prejudice. Tarzan? Nope. King Kong? Nope. It could be all of these, but this is not what I have in front of me. Immigrant goes back to place of birth, experiences culture shock. Uh, Batman Returns? No, it's a comedy. Is it a good comedy? Yeah. Everyone loves this film. And you would watch it at a particular time of year. It's Christmas. Immigrant adoptee is repatriated to the country of birth, experiences culture shock and prejudice. Oh, it's uh, Elf. It's Elf. Oh, <laughs> yes! <laughs> it's Elf for the win. 5-2, got it. Well, let's go for oh, no. this last one. Let's go for the last one. Well, it could be a draw, couldn't it? No. It couldn't be a draw, but I'm going to go for this last one because I like it. Um, so, public transportation running ahead of schedule for once. 
Runaway Train? Nope. Speed. Speed. Brilliant. Very good. <laughs> well, unfortunately, you can't you can't now catch up. That can't brings catch us to up. a final score Tight. of five. Five three. three. Well done, James. It was yes. the first two. Yes. <laughs> wizard. Two I, I had wizard. I had it. Wizard. I had it, and then it was too quick. As soon as said Kansas, should have said it. Shouldn't have smashed that Carlsberg so quickly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, well, that pretty much does it for this edition of the BVFC podcast. Thank you very much for listening, especially if you've made it this far. And hopefully we'll see you for the next one.